This is the normal time of our weekly Tanya, text-based Tanya class. We just finished volume one of Tanya, chapter uh, 53 chapters of Tanya a couple of weeks ago. So in the interim, we've been doing like a little meditation workshop. So that's been, for the people who went through all of Tanya, especially those who patiently went through chapters 41 through 50, which was all about meditation, where we're learning about the meditations and we weren't really doing the meditations, this is sort of like a reward for you for getting through that. For those who didn't go through those classes, so then this will be a taste of some of the, the style, the flavor of Tanya. Um, so last week we did, it, we did a little meditation and we spoke about how it works. If you weren't here, who was here last week? Okay, more than half of you. But if you weren't here last week, that, that's okay. If, if, uh, if you don't know everything I'm referring to, it'll, it'll be okay. We'll, we'll catch you up, basically. Let's talk about uh, meditation. And we'll, we'll do another meditation like we did last week. Remember last week we, we did a meditation? Yeah. What? Yeah, we did a little hispaninus. Yeah, we did. Yeah. So, God willing, we'll do a little more hispaninus again also. Okay. But before we do a hispaninus, a meditation, I uh, just want to share with you a, an entry from Hayyem Yayim. Hayyem Yayim is from day to day. That's a sefer that the Lubavitcher Rebbe compiled, which has a daily thought or reflection for every single day of the calendar year. And I want to share with you, what? Is it today's Hayyem? It's not today's Hayyem, no. Okay. Um, I mean, we could do today's Hayyem, but no, I'm, I'm, sh- I'm sharing it with you not because it is the day's Hayyem, but rather because it's about meditation, and it happens to be in Hayyem. Okay. So, did I say the date? Of which Hayyemim it is, in case you want to look it up in your own. Okay, no. it, it's Chof Tamos. It's the 20th day of the month of Tamos, if you ever want to look it up. Um, by the way, every entry of Hayyemim is taken from the previous Rebbe's writings. So it's either from a mimer or a Sicha or a letter of the previous Rebbe. But the easiest place to find it is in Hayyemim Chof Tamos. Okay, here we go. There are three types of his bainunus. All right. Who wants to know what they are? Do I have your interest? Three types of his bainunus. All right. As we explained last week, his bainunus is the technical, precise term we have for a very specific type of meditation or contemplative process. Okay, and there are three types apparently of this very specific type of process. Aleph. One. Hisbeinunus limudis. The first one is called Hisbeinunus limudis. Hisbeinunus is that word that we're translating as meditation. Reflection, contemplation. Actually, last week we explained it's from the same word as baina, which is to build. And it's also from bina, which is, what, what is bina? The mother of thought, right? It's where you take little ideas and build onto them. You flesh them out. You unpack them. Right. So his bainanos means that type of cognition where you're taking a kernel of thought and unpacking it thoroughly through analysis. He's bainus limudis. What's that word, limudis? Yeah, it's from the word limud, except it's an adjective, limudis. So the adjective is modifying the noun, his bainus. So it is a type of meditation which we'll call learning meditation. What is learning meditation? Well, it's similar to learning, but it's not learning. Otherwise, it wouldn't be learning meditation. It would just be learning. Right. So it's not limud, and it's not hisbeinunus. Well, it is hisbeinunus, but it's a specific type of hisbeinunus. It's not limud. It's not learning. 
It, it is his bainanus, but it's his bainanus limudis. It's learning style, his bainanus. After you understand the idea thoroughly, whom is bainin, he reflects or meditates, on the depth of that concept. Ad shahasichli, until the intellectual aspect of it, Meir Etzlai shines for him. Okay, so his Beninus Limudis is a type of reflection that you do after you have properly learned. If you haven't properly learned the subject matter, then you're not yet ready to start his Beninus Limudis. So if you're still asking questions of, what does that mean? What does that, what does that say? What's that concept? Then you're not ready yet for his Beninus Limudis, you're still learning. Is that what we did last week? I'll let you decide after we learn all three types. You'll decide which type we did. He says the sikhlis, the sikhli, the, intel, the intellect of it. Well, that's a very interesting assumption you're making, and you are correct. Yeah, we didn't say that explicitly, but that was implicit. Yes, yes, it is. What's the goal here? What's the goal of his Bainanus Limudis? Well, yeah, that's what we did last week. It's a meditation. What's the goal of his Bainanus Limudis? I love that you're saying that because I convinced you so much last week. But this is a different type of his Bainanus. I like that word. I like that word. To let it sink in. His Bainanus Limudis is not what we were speaking about last week. What we were speaking about last week was aimed toward some type of emotional takeaway. His Bainanus Limudis is just to let it, I'll use your term, sink in. Now, it's different than learning something properly. That's another type of letting it sink in. But this is after you already have the it, and now it needs to sink in. So it's not learning because you already learned it and you understand it. Um, but it's still very intellectual. We're not yet getting into emotions. We're still just understanding, but we're understanding on a deeper level. So what shines for him? He said that the, the sikhli, the, the intellectual content of the idea. So really, it's a process of deeply internalizing the meaning <coughs> of an idea. And it doesn't lead to any emotional takeaway. That's not the point of it. It leads to greater clarity, greater appreciation for the depth of the concept. And that's why it's called Hizbeninus Limudis, because it's kind of similar to learning. But it's not learning because you're not still learning it. You already, you already know it, at least on a level that's good enough to go and take it into a meditative process. So you already know it, but now you're letting it sink in. I, I, I like that word. I'll use that. Okay. You're letting it sink in. But again, to, to, what, to what extent and toward what end is it sinking in for greater intellectual clarity? Okay? So that's, that's the first type of hisbeninus. Um, I would say that we sometimes did that in our Tanya class. Sometimes. Meaning after we had already properly understood the concept, I think sometimes we had discussions where we internalized the idea on a deeper level. Obviously, when we speak about his baininess, we're not talking about a discussion. We're talking about an internal process with one person alone. But I'm saying similar as far as the, uh, the level of thought, that it's, it's taking something that you know well and just understanding it on a, on a deeper level. Okay, so that's, that was the first level. Base. This is called Shekoidim Hatfila. That is before prayer, meaning his that is before prayer. 
He's baiting his fat and davening. That's a hybrid phrase of Lashon HaKadosh and Yiddish. He's baiting us fat and davening. Is that why the men um, have Why? Why is it only men who do that? Many men do it. Yeah, well. More men do it. Okay. I don't know what you want me to say. Well, let's let's say we. Let's say we. Yeah, that's a, yeah, sure. Is that why we learn chassidus before davening? Yeah. In other words, we learn chassidus before davening in order to prepare yourself for davening. To have something to meditate on before davening. Right, the passing will become that bane in you. Well, yeah, that's the ultimate lifelong goal is to become that bane in you from Tanya, but. At least during davening, okay, yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. Well, you'll find out. The second type of davening, I mean, the second type of hisbeinus, is called hisbeinus before davening. Yeah. So. Well, you know, you're asking, isn't, da- isn't davening itself meditation? Interesting question. I'll, I'll, I'll put that on hold for a, momentarily. What? This is called his bainus shekaidim hatfila. His bainus reflection or meditation that is before prayer. The way that it's described is merely when it happens. It happens before prayer. Now, that's, I mean, that's the name of it. But what happens in that yeah. process? Okay. Oh, well, we didn't read it yet. In Yona, its concept, the idea of it, Hergish Chayusoinyan Shalomod is to feel the Chayus, the vitality, the energy, the life of the concept that he learned. Not an intellectual feeling, like it was with the previous type of meditation, which is called learning meditation. Let's unpack that. So the second type of meditation is called meditation before prayer, and its concept is to feel the vitality of the idea that you learned. That's what it is, and here's what it ain't. Not just feeling the idea or the intellect of it like it was with the previous type of hisbeinus. So what, what are we describing here? Well, it would seem... It would seem that one leads to the other in, in, in terms of like it's literally a procedure. A process, right. It's, okay, and does that answer your question about being mutually exclusive? Yeah, but it's... It's a, it's a process. Okay. So you first, what's the first thing you do? Understand it. Learn it properly, right? So the first step in any recipe, they don't tell you, is you got to go to the store. You, you just you magically have all the ingredients there. Sure. I guess it depends what you make. Yeah. It's amazing. You have a very attentive staff then. So, step zero is you have to learn something, and by learning something, I mean chesedus. I mean, a kind of chassidus. Like, for instance, those who come Wednesdays and learn the mimer with me. So that's the kind of stuff that you would be using as your material for meditation. Okay. So you learn something, and you learn it properly. You're not still wondering what it means. You know what it means. I mean, at least on a, on a level, you know, there's always endless levels. But at least on some level, you, you know what it means. You could explain it. You could probably even teach it. A lot of teachers, by the way, only do that. And then that's it. They're qualified to teach because they know what it says. They know what the text says. 
You can tell the difference, by the way, when somebody's teaching you the text based on the fact that they know what it says or based on the fact that they've lived it. So this procedure here is to get us to live it. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So the first thing is, is now that you know what it says, you're not doubting anymore what it says. You know what it says. But now you're going to let it sink in. But it's purely intellectual. It's purely intellectual. He's limudis. That's the first step. Second step, he's benus shekaitimatfila, the the meditation that happens before prayer. Now I'm getting to what he calls hergish hachayos. I'm feeling the life of the idea, not just the idea as a as an idea, but the idea has some type of energy to it, something that that motivates, that drives. There's a, there's a life force in that idea, and I'm trying to connect to it, to it. Not just to connect to it on an intellectual level. So he doesn't use the word emotional here, but we would, you know, part of the word emotion is motion. It motivates. Motion motivates. The same, same etymological root. The idea is it drives towards something. You can learn something and understand it well and even appreciate it. It doesn't necessarily translate into something. It doesn't necessarily become a driving force. In the second type of meditation, we're trying to connect to, there's, there's an energy in this idea that's it's, it's not just intellectual anymore. It's a, it's a, he calls it chayus, it's a vitality. The idea is alive. The idea has a life. I'm connecting to the life of that idea. Well, if it's connecting to life, I mean, life is growth, life is movement. So it's going to push you to something. Now you're asking to action? Well, ultimately, anything that, if you push far enough, the bottom line is always action. So, yeah, I would, I would assume that that's how it should be cashed in, that it should translate into action. But most immediately, it's bringing the idea into an emotional level. So I'm going from the intellect to the emotion. Now, I can't skip the intellectual level. See, that's what makes hisbeninus, and I should use maybe the more accurate term here, hisbeninus chabad, because this is the approach of the Alter Rebbe, this is the approach of, of chabad. This is what makes it characteristically Chabad. We're trying to feel something, but not directly. The emotion is the product of understanding. That's what Chabad is, Chochmah bin Adas, the cognitive process. So first you study, first you study. Then you meditate on what you studied, but it's an intellectual meditation. Then you connect to the feeling and you get an emotional reaction from what you learned. So the emotion is the product of the study. As opposed to what? I mean, there are other ways of arousing emotions. There are other ways of getting people excited. But this is a very specific process where the emotion is the natural outgrowth of understanding an idea. Somebody was giving me some feedback this week. Uh, he, he actually watched the recording of last week. Remember what we did here last week. So he watched the recording and he said that I made a claim, but my claim was not what they call it, evaluated by the FDA, is that what they always say? These, these claims were not evaluated by the FDA, right? Or the, or the, what? FDA. Yeah, when you make like a health claim, when you no, say, I understand. yeah. This is right, no, I'm just using a shame emotional, like uh, just an expression. Or if you, you sell somebody like a business plan and you say, this is for entertainment purposes only. Really, what's the entertainment? Watching myself lose money, that's the entertainment. Okay, so I, I didn't make a disclaimer. I made a claim last week, without a disclaimer, that if you meditate 
and I said meditation is a cognitive process, you will feel, meaning the intellectual process will lead to an emotional conclusion. Do you kind of remember me saying that last week? Yeah, okay. So this guy's like, well, I think you're overselling it a little bit, or you're overpromising a little bit. Who says? Who says? And, and what are you going to tell me? And if it doesn't work, you can tell me, just go do more. <laughs> I didn't lose weight on this diet. Okay, well, you, how long do you stay on it? You're right? not doing it properly. Right. You're not doing it Oh, so, yeah, I could tell you, you're not doing it properly. But the, the problem with saying that is, it was sort of inherent in my claim that it's a natural thing. If you remember from last week, I said, it's a natural thing. What, whatever you think about, you're going to have strong feelings about. I even think I used an example where it's a negative thing or even something that we're not even doing willfully. Um, like when we are being passive, we're worrying, we're allowing the, the animal soul to grab hold of the, this incredible machine called this brain and it's just feeding us with all types of crazy things to think about. Mm -hmm. And then before we know it, we're feeling it. So we know that's how it works, is the, the, the intellect gives birth to emotions. And I kind of posited that, it would, that the same thing would work automatically if you focus on holy things <laughs> and you're going to have positive feelings. So he said, it's a little bit, you're, you're a little bit over-promising. So, uh, No, no, he listened to a lot of different classes. Yeah, and he, he had all the complaints in the past. But anyway, and I know who this is. I actually know the guy in real life. I know the guy in real life, and I can't oh, so discount him. What? I've done this process for years, and I feel like it brought me to... So you're saying that your experience bears that it does work. Okay. So he was saying his experience wasn't so. So we'll straighten him out. So I'll tell you what I told him. I'll tell you what I told him, and my... Tanya students will back me up here. He's listening? He'll probably listen to the recording. Okay. And I'll probably get a text from him being like, it was a little bit cringy when I heard because I wasn't sure at first. Were you referring to my thing that I told you? Okay. A lot of women. Okay. Yeah. So, you remember in Tanya chapters 16 and 17, I don't know how many people were around for those chapters, but... Right before Ahava Mr. Teres. Right before Ahava Mr. Teres. Very good. Ahava Mr. Teres was chapter 18. But what was 16 and 17? You are correct. Ahava Mr. Teres was 18. What was 16 and 17? 16 and 17, we spoke about meditation in Tanya. But he doesn't give you any specific meditations. The specific meditations are in chapters 41 through 50. However, he makes some statements about meditation and one of the things he says is that only a tzaddik and I'm not going to, if you weren't through all the chapters of Tanya and you don't really understand what that means, I'm not going to give a whole long explanation. I'm not even going to give a short explanation. I'm just going to say only a tzaddik, only somebody who truly is only driven by holy desires and holy ways of thinking and holy emotions only a tzaddik is capable of having the full-fledged love and awe of Hashem, meaning emotions in the most powerful, palpable, visceral sense. And the bainini, meaning the person who's still struggling with the internal conflict, is going to have something which we call tvunais. That's the plural, yeah. Tvuna, tvuna. Tvuna actually is related to the word bina. Tvuna, there is a cheese called Tvuna, yeah. Okay, but this, yeah. So Tvuna is related to the word Bina, and the way he explains it over there is that he also calls it by a, a sort of a nickname. He calls it a Makshava Toiva, a good thought. Like when, when our sages say that a good thought is combined with action. That Hashem takes a good thought and He combines it with an action. And the Alter Rebbe says, what does it mean He combines it? What's this word, combine? Um, like, there are other expressions that it could use. In fact, that it does use sometimes, like, uh, sometimes it'll say, like, 
the Torah will consider it as if, although that's an idiomatic translation as well. But at any rate, why does it say that it's, it, there's a, it's mitzaref, that it combines it? So he says that um, really real palpable emotions, like what a tzaddik feels for Hashem, is a, is a physical experience. Like he feels that love and that awe in his bones. It's a real physical experience. Like the way that we feel love and awe of things that, for whatever things we feel strongly about, okay? But it's a physical experience. It's not abstract. It's not... Okay, so with a Bainini, it's going to be more abstract. It's not going to be so visceral. It's not going to be so tangible. It's going to be more lofty than that, more ethereal than that, more theoretical than that. So in other words, if I have to describe it in basic English, instead of it being this, this powerful feeling in your body, it's more like, I get it, it's in my head. It's more in my head, and it's more of like an appreciation. Like, it's not just a fact that I'm repeating. Like, the annual precipitation in the Amazon is what, you know, you can, it's not just spitting out a fact. It's personal to me. In fact, maybe I'd call it an opinion. And, I, and I'm using the word opinion not the way people use opinion nowadays as a put-down word. People use opinions. They say, oh, that's not a fact. That's your opinion. Well, I'm using opinion here in a good way. I'm saying, you're not just spouting some fact. You're saying what you really feel. An opinion, that's how I feel. Now, is it a feeling like real, visceral, tangible feelings? It's not, but you'll still say that's how I feel, yeah? There are different people built different ways. Yeah, 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 people are built different ways. So then you're getting that. Like some people are more emotional. Yes, yes, yes. Let, let's just talk about this on the most simple level. Instead of getting into the, yes, yes, there are different people with different capacities and different styles. And obviously, this one model that we're describing is going to translate into innumerable, innumerable different ways based on how many different people. It'll probably be completely different or somewhat different for everyone who does it. But yeah. What's a higher level, a makshava tofa or a mitzvah? Well, we're going to come to this. We're going to come to this. But anyway, you were talking about a bainini. Okay, so, so listen to what he explains. He says like this. When a, when a tzaddik has an emotion, that emotion is in his body. Like, he's literally feeling it. Like, well, uh, adrenaline is one of the, you know, like, if when, yeah, when you have awe, when you experience awe, and, and, it, and it's, you're feeling it in your body, right? Your, your heart rate goes up, and you're sweating, right? That's a physical feeling. I suppose you could feel that from love also. Your, your, your heart rate could go up and your pupils dilate and there are physical results from, from this real palpable love. Okay, so Tzadik gets that. And then when he does a mitzvah with that emotion, it's a very obvious flow because the emotion is physical and of course the mitzvah is physical because mitzvahs are physical acts. So the physical experience, the physiological experience of the emotion flows straight into the physical performance of the mitzvah. When a bainini has an emotion, it's not that, in, that type of intense experience. It's more up here. And that's why we say Hashem combines it with the action. Because naturally it doesn't flow with the action. The action is physical. This tvuna or machshava is abstract. So Hashem has to come and put them together and sort of pair the intellectual appreciation or opinion with the appropriate action that came from it. But there's sort of somewhat like a disconnect between the two because one is in the world of abstraction and the other one is very tangible. Okay, so what I told this guy was, if you're going to say, that my claim was that anybody who thinks about concepts from Chesedis is going to experience palpable 
love and awe in their flesh and they're going to actually have this physiological response and no i'm not i'm not making such a claim although i, w I wouldn't rule it out but i'm not making such a claim but if you're saying that I'm suggesting that it's true what Tanya says in chapter 16 and 17, that by thinking about an idea well enough, you'll at least come to have a personal connection to it. It won't merely be repeating facts. It'll actually be something that is personal to you. Yes, I am making that claim. And I'm stating that, that it is an inevitability. And yeah, it, it does sound kind of annoying whenever somebody says that this process works, it just takes a certain amount of work, and then you come back and you say, well, it didn't work yet, and well, go do it more. You know, like the story of the guy who lived to 100, and they asked him, you know, how did you live to such an old age? He says, well, you know, my secret is I eat herring every day. And uh, they said, well, I know a guy who ate herring every day, and he, he died when he was 70. So, well, he didn't do it long enough. <laughs> he didn't do it long enough. They, okay. I don't understand. Does the Benoni, who it's not a natural reaction, get more credit? Or is it because. I don't know about credit. I don't, the credit is not relevant. The point is that we're not talking about such intense emotions. Nobody is expected to fall on the floor over here. Nobody's going to start weeping, okay? But what can happen, and if you do it long enough, I'm making the claim will happen, is that an idea in Chassidus will no longer just be an idea that you're repeating, or even an idea that you understand well and can even teach, but it'll be something that you feel personal about. It'll be something that informs your <laughs> worldview, that drives you to some extent, meaning it is a motivator to some extent, meaning when you do make decisions, let's say, it drives the way that you favor one outcome over another because it becomes, it becomes personal to you. Okay, so that's what we're describing. I'm not promising anyone's going to have these crazy, intense emotional experiences. What I am saying is that something that, w that used to be abstract can actually be something personally meaningful to you. Personally meaningful, personally significant, that you now say, I appreciate that. I get that. Not just intellectually I get it. Like, I, I, I feel like that's something that, that drives me in life, to some extent. Now, will the feelings of your animal soul sometimes be much more powerful than that? Yeah, okay, I'm, I'm not making any claims about what will happen in that area. I'm just saying if you'll do the Hezbeinenos, it will take things from a more abstract, objective level to a more practical, subjective level. And, and again, I want to just clarify what the same clarification I made when I used the word opinion. Opinion became a dirty word now. We put things down because they're opinions. So the same, th same, same thing I want to say now when I say subjective. We often dismiss things. Well, that's subjective. Subjective is not a dirty word. Opinion is not a dirty word. When we say that something is, it is an objective fact, but it's not only an objective fact, I've now made it my subjective reality, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. That means that you've personalized it, okay? So we could even call this whole process the process of personalizing information. Okay? Fine. So, let's just review. Well, what's the third type? Well, I, well, before we get to the third, I wanted to review. Because everyone forgot the first two. That's before we do the third, we want to do the first two, because I want it to be scaffolded. What's the first type of meditation? What do you call it? Learning meditation. Okay, what about the learning itself? Prerequisite, good word. Okay, so that happened already. So the first level, he's been limudis, and what am I trying to connect with over there? Well, he calls it a hergish. What am I trying to feel? The depth of the understanding. The depth of the understanding. 
sinking in, right. So it's a hergish, but it's not an emotional feeling. It's an intellectual it's sense. Intellectual. Right. Are you meant to add to your understanding by doing that? Yes, you're, a- you're adding to your understanding. His bainanus, oh, that's a very good question. His bainanus is from the word baina, to build, like we said last week. So yes, you are adding. Then you asked a very good question. You're adding information. Are you adding information? No, you're not adding information. Do you remember what we said last week about the difference between Chochmah and Bina? So Chochmah is like the little kernel of the idea. Uh, Eureka, yeah. Bina is... Chochmah is like the father, right? And then Bina is like the womb where the, the, that little packet of uh, genetic code gets unpacked and it gets turned into this, this whole child, right? So... It's not adding new information. It's bringing out from potential into actuality. That's why, remember, again, we said the difference between Chochmah uh, and is like seeing and hearing. That you can look, yeah. So, I did say, right? You can look at a picture, and the picture may have thousands of brush strokes. And you see it all in, in an instant. So it's hyper-condensed. Then I said a, a symphony, a symphony maybe has thousands of notes. You can't do it in an instant. It takes as long as it takes. It's the process. It's the unpacking. It's going through it one at a time. So Bina is, by definition, okay, let's lay it all out. Let's open up the closet. Let's get everything out on the table. Let's see what we're dealing with. Maybe that's why it's too many. That's it, what we do. Right. Like we're going to organize the spice rack. Correct. Right. A hundred percent. Okay. Are you like building connections between the information that you already have? Like you're expanding your You're building new connections, or what they would call today new neural pathways, between the information you already have. So you already have a coin. Now you're going to take it to the currency exchange, and you're going to make different, you're going to break it down to different denominations, right? So that's what Bina is. It's maven dover mi toich dover, like he says in chapter 3 of Tanya. Understanding one thing from another. So it's almost like you have a new thing, but it's not a new thing. It's one idea, but now you're turning that gem in the light and picking up different facets of it and realizing that there's so much diversity and complexity to that one thing. That's what the Bina process is. So you're not getting new information, but it's, it's as if new connections, new connections, which is as good as new information, if not better. It was interesting. Um, it says about uh, Rebbe Akiva that he initially, I'm sorry, about Rebbe Mayer, that he initially studied uh, with, with Rebbe Yishmoel and learned from him the entire Tere Shabal Peh, the entire oral tradition, all of the Mishnayas. And then he switched, he went to Rabbi Akiva. So the question is, well, if he learned the entire Torah with Rabbi Yishmael, then what did Rabbi Meir learn with Rabbi Akiva? So it explains the difference between Gomer Gemara and Savar Svara. The first one, Gomer Gemara, means he just learned the information. Savar Svara means he learned the methodology, what to do with the information, how to put it together, how to combine it how to reach conclusions. So by the time he went to Rabbi Akiva, he knew everything. He didn't, he didn't have any new information. There wasn't new information that Rabbi Akiva could teach him. But Rabbi Akiva could teach him what to do with that information. And that's very much the concept of Bina. What were you going to say? Is there any value in learning meditation exclusively? If you don't move to the next level, what's the value? It's a wonderful question. Everyone hear the question? Is there any value in just doing the first level if you never advance to the second level? And we don't even know what the third level is, but we said there is one. What do you think I'm going to say? There's always value in doing something more. So... If somebody will say, I don't learn right now, should I start learning? But I'm not going to do the first level of meditation, I'm just going to learn. I would say, okay, so if you're not learning, start learning. 
And then if someone would say, I learn, but I don't do meditation, even the first level. But I'll only do the first level. Okay, so only do the first level. There's always value. Of course there's value. Well, it's information, but it's godly information, and it's having an effect on your brain, and it's wiring your brain in a more godly way, and that's worth something. So the, the value is that it internally shifts something because it's godly. It, it internally shifts something. That is correct. The only question is how deeply internally shifted are we going to be? Yes, that's right. So we're talking how deep, how deep, what? What determines that? Which level of the process you engage in. She's asking about, is there value to just doing the first level without the second level? I'm saying, yeah, the value is you'll have an internal shift, but it'll only be so deep. And if you want the internal shift to be deeper, so then you'll do the next level. Maybe, I mean. Okay, let's, let's find out the third one. Oh, no, hold on. We just reviewed the first one. So the first one is called what? Learning meditation. Learning meditation. Fine. The second one, what is that one? Before prayer. Before prayer. And that's when it happens, but what happens? What do you do? And how is it different than the first type? Okay, the energy, the emotion, the vitality... Okay. Internalize it. Internalize it. Yeah. I mean, the first one was also internalizing, but it was intellectual internalization. Yeah? Yeah, the whole thing is a process of kinyan, is, is of acquisition, making something personal, yeah, owning it, yeah. But the first level is owning it on an intellectual level. The second one, yeah, yeah, it's a transition to the emotional. It's a prerequisite for the emotional, but it's not yet emotional. The second level is now it becomes more emotional. Okay. Is bringing it to your heart? Like bringing it to your heart. You should know it today. You should place it upon your heart. Yeah. Okay. Gimel. Here's the third level. Shebitfila. That is in davening. In prayer, he's bringing the meditation that happens in prayer. So we had basically you learned. That was step zero. Then you have the meditation that happens after learning. He doesn't call it after learning, but it, it's a follow through or a follow up from your learning. Then the meditation that happens before you're praying. And then the meditation happens in prayer. In Yana, its concept, is feeling the godliness in the idea that he learned. So first of all, I just want to point out that even the third and highest level is still based on the fact that there was some learning session because what is he? Yeah, what, what's he connecting to? The concept that he learned. Just what happens in the first level? He's connecting to the intellectual content of what he learned. In the second level, he's connecting to the vitality, the energy of what he learned. Not so much what it means, but what it calls upon you to to aspire to, to want, to be driven toward. And then the third level is also still based on what he learned, but it's connecting to the elokus, the godliness. The godliness. What's the godliness? Isn't this whole thing godly? Call it the infinity. When you're having an experience of the infinite, we spoke about this a little bit interestingly last week in our chapter 41 awe meditation, I think. I think we did. 
If not, then it was some other class where we spoke about that um, the totality, the oneness, the everythingness of the infinite one really is all-consuming. And if you're really connected to it, then it's not even a conscious experience anymore because it overtakes you. How can it be infinite and you're still holding out and preserving your selfhood in order to subjectively experience the infinite? How can you even be an angel? <laughs> can you be even any entity? Can you be anything discrete and separate and distinct? What's happening here is you are losing yourself in the concept, but not the intellectual aspect of the concept, not the emotional aspect of the concept, but the infinity of the concept. And obviously that's a very lofty experience, and that's why it's the third level. It's like a rung on a ladder. It's not something you just jump to. But what's happening here is it's not even so much more about I understand, which is level one, or I feel, which is level two. It's like the idea now becomes there is no I. I'm surrendering. Yeah. Yeah. And this yeah. is both uh, apparently, it's applicable to everyone, yes, that on, everyone on their own level can have this experience. Is this an example of like learning for the future? Well, that was the original plan, but we're running out of time. Okay. Are we going to do it next week? I don't know. Okay, but let's finish off the this entry from the Hayyemi. Okay. Shalosh Elu. These three things are the rungs on the ladder of sensitivity or feeling, awareness. They're rungs on a ladder, like we said, a process. And he uses the Yiddish, der Hertmen. It is only an act of gratuitous divine kindness that once in a while, meaning in isolated cases, will we ever get a godly feeling without any work. In other words, he's not ruling it out as a phenomenon. It could happen that you would spontaneously have a feeling of godliness, but it's very rare. It's very rare, and it's just a kindness that Hashem sometimes just throws at us, but it's, it's not really something that happens very often. Uh, but then what's interesting... Even to a regular person? What? What does it mean, even to a regular person? Generally speaking, if you want to have a, a sensitivity to godliness, you're going to have to go through this process. Or at least a process. So somebody who doesn't learn, who doesn't internalize the cannot be sensitive. Well, he'll wait around until he gets into lightning strikes. He could win the lottery. Yeah. I'm going to win the lottery. You're going to win the lottery? Yeah. Okay, but you understand. I'm going to help you out. Winning. They say, by the way, the people win the lottery, they end up bankrupt within a few years. Okay. Okay, so he says, it is very rare that somebody would spontaneously have a deep sensitivity to godliness out of nowhere. And by the way, I would assume this even means somebody who engages in this process. Meaning, when he does the work, he gets the results. But if he's not doing the work, why should he expect results? You have to stay, of course. It's a Unless you're in a field taking care of your flock of, flock of sheep. But that, what do you, but, that, but, that, but that, that, what you're saying is actually incorrect. Why were they in the, you're talking about the Aves, that they were in the field all day with their sheep. Why were they in the field? Because they were into sheep? 
What were they doing in the field? His Bainanus. That's why they were there. They chose jobs that allowed them to meditate all day. So it wasn't that because of the sheep, oh, there's something about the sheep. If you hang out with sheep all day, you'll have this godly awareness. No, they chose to be shepherds so they could do this work. That's what, when it says, when Yosef says, my brothers are all shepherds, Yosef was the exception that he had like a regular job in Manhattan and he worked for Parai. But the, the Oves and the Shvatim, they all stayed in the field. And what did they do in the field? They meditated. They did this process. Okay, let's finish off. Now, how could it happen that somebody could spontaneously have this experience, which we said is not very often? It's because of the essence of godliness that is in the soul. So after all, the fact that you're able to connect to God isn't so inexplicable because the connection is there already. It's in you. It's not something outside of you. It's not something foreign to you. So it could happen that without any work, you'll luck out and everything will align and you'll connect to the godliness that is intuitively, innately there. Okay, but that's, that's not a plan. <laughs> that's not... That's not not uh, don't, rely on don't rely on that exactly. Okay, but when you talk about actual work, the with, with your own effort, you must use these three levels. So if you want to hit the spiritual lottery, and the, the essence of your soul will just spontaneously have this incredible awareness, great. Then just I guess. Walk around and wait for it to happen. But if you want to actually engineer this process and cause the result, then these are the three steps. This is what it is. This is what it is. Okay. I wanted to actually go through another meditation today, uh, a real example, but no, we don't have time. So, um, I have one yeah. So your question, what if someone does not possess the intellect to do this, is the question that's asked at the beginning of chapter. We actually mentioned this chapter. Yeah. No, 16, 17 says to meditate. And 18... And, and uh, so the Avamisateris comes in because says, and if you can't do the mental work, so we have this other thing that'll work. It's a, like a, a side door. Okay? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sort of. Yeah, simple Jew type stuff. Yeah, but nobody here can get away with that. Yeah. No, not in this class. This is a high level class, by the way. This is like the spiritual think tank. Of Long Island, basically. 